0: How are we all doing? Are we okay? Yeah? It's good to have you here. I'm excited to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. Uh, if you're new here, a massive welcome to you all. Well, we're super glad you're here, aren't we church? And uh, it's good to be here. Uh, who's got the Christmas trees up already? Anyone? Okay, there's more of you than the first service. Who hasn't got the Christmas trees up yet? Oh wow, full of Grinches in the room here. Look at this. Uh, we've got ours up, um, so you can judge me all you like. That's absolutely fine. Prepare him room, everyone say prepare him room. And high five two people and say prepare him room. Come on, let's do it. Prepare him room, prepare him room. Prepare Him Room. We've just finished a uh, wonderful event called uh, Prepare Him Room, and uh, last week we had three days of 12 hours of worship throughout uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and just beautiful to be able to honor the King. The reason why we did that is because we want to ensure as a church that this Christmas, as we move into all the plans and activities that we have, but we also know that you will have, that the heart uh, of what we want to stay true to is that Christmas is about the birth of a Savior to the world, and His name is Jesus. Amen. And uh, we want to make sure that we do everything possible to prepare him room so that he can have space and room in our lives and in our heart to be able to minister to us, to be able to overflow from our lives. Um, Christmas is in a fascinating season, you know. Um, it is one of the only moments, really, where the whole nation, pretty much, there or then about, um, celebrates what we know is about Jesus. For them, it might be about gifts and presents and materialism, but for us, we know it's about Jesus. But a wonderful opportunity. Uh, makes itself apparent to us all, where the whole nation gathers together on one day and we know we have the opportunity to be able to tell them the reason why they're gathering. An amazing opportunity for the whole nation to come together to celebrate something that we can say, this is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. It's because we need a Savior, amen? We need a Messiah. We needed someone to come and redeem us and heal us and set us free. And we have found that in Emmanuel, God who is with us. The one who came into the brokenness of the world. A holy God who you think would abstain from the brokenness of humanity but instead moves towards it because he has a deep love for the world and a deep love for your and my life. That's the reason of Christmas, right? Isaiah chapter 7 uh, puts it like this. A virgin will uh, bear a child and a son and she will call him Emmanuel. God who is with us, with us in every challenge, with us in every battle with us. In every twist and turn that this life so often brings, we have a God that has got a name that declares that he is with us in every season and in every moment. Fascinating thought though, when we look at the the story of Jesus in the Bible, it's a fascinating thought that the very name given to Jesus, which literally means God being with us, when he first came into this world, we know that nobody wanted him. A fascinating thought that when Mary and Joseph were looking for a room to be able to give birth to the God that wants to be with the people, there was nowhere for these people to lay their head. Nowhere for them to go. Everywhere was full. Everywhere had no spare rooms. There was nowhere for Jesus to come into. In fact, homelessness was effectively the avenue that Jesus came into this world. Fascinating thought. Fascinating thought that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords The Messiah and Savior of the world had had nowhere to go at all. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The king of the universe, the creator of all the world, the one who was there at the beginning when they spoke life and out of his mouth came the suns and the moons and the stars, the one whose imprint is on our lives as we were made in the image of the triune God, that very God, the one who is the coming Messiah, the Savior, majestic in fashion, full of splendor and holiness and power, when he first comes and enters into this world, no one would take him Him, No red carpet rolled out, no palace for the king of kings to dwell in. In fact, rejection was the first encounter that Jesus had when he came into this earth imagine that imagine knowing what you and i know of who this baby was and no one would take him in imagine the god the creator of all the world in human flesh and nowhere would open the door to allow him to come in now of course 2000 years ago when this took place Nobody knew who this baby was. To everyone that they knocked on the door asking if they could find a place to stay, they just saw it as another man and wife pregnant with a baby. They, they didn't assume, didn't know who this baby was going to be. They had little idea that in front of them at that very moment in the womb was the, was the Savior, the coming King. They had no idea. But you and I, knowing what we know right now, knowing exactly who Jesus is, Knowing exactly that he was in that fashion at that moment, the coming king, the creator of all the world, the Messiah who has set most of our lives free in this room, the one who we worship this morning, the one who we gather around, knowing what we know, surely if that was to take place today, we would all welcome him in, right? We'd all open our doors going, oh my gosh, like what an honor it is for Jesus, the baby, to come and be a guest in my home. Come on in. We'd open the doors. We'd literally roll out the red carpet. We would be of reverence and awe, wouldn't we, if that takes place? Surely that's what would happen in our lives. We would, we'd prepare him room, right? Or, or would we? I guess the better question is, do we? Do we prepare room for for the one who is the creator of all the world? Do we open our hearts and our lives and our doors to the one who is the savior of our souls? It's a more prominent question to ask when we approach Christmas, right? Of all the activities we've got going on, friends, family, food and presents and all those things are good things and we'll enjoy them. But in that moment, are we preparing him room? It's an interesting question for us to ask ourselves, and I guess this morning what I I want to do is is I want to look at a letter that Jesus himself, after he had done these things, lived his perfect life, died on, on the cross in brutal fashion for our sins, rose again, lived with the disciples for 40 more days, and now is at the right hand of the Father. After that, he wrote a letter to a church. It's an amazing letter, and in fact, I would say that this letter could be a letter that would be written to the Western church in this day and age. It's a letter that was written to a specific church 2,000 years ago, a letter that holds great importance, and it's from a book that many of you who have been following Jesus for a while probably avoid every now and then because it's a little bit scary. It's from a book called Revelation, an interesting book, Revelation. If you're not a Christian in the room, Revelation's full filled with all kinds of prophetic and poetic language, graphic language. And Jesus himself writes, writes a letter to a specific church. And I want us to read this letter today as if he might have been speaking to the Western church that we find ourselves of in this moment. Because the whole point of this letter to this church is speaking about what we're talking about today, which is prepare him room. And effectively, Jesus is trying to get across to this church. He uses graphic and detailed language of a church that might be doing lots of good things, but inside, they're perhaps not preparing him room. Perhaps they've gone off kilter with all their activities and doings, just like Christmas so often is for many of us, And they lose the centrality of what the purpose of church is and the purpose of Christmas is, which is to prepare room for the coming king, Jesus, the Messiah of the world. I want to pre-warn you before we read this. Some of you will have read this language before. You'll have read this letter before. Um, If you're like me, I read it when I was 16 years old and it's been imprinted on my heart ever since. It it scares me a little bit, if I'm honest, when I read it. It's it's graphic language and Jesus is speaking about something very, very specific. And here's, here's what it is. A lukewarm faith. A lukewarm faith. Put your hands if you've ever read the scripture of you're neither hot nor cold and lukewarm. Okay, lots of you have. If you haven't, I'm going to help you. And if you have, hopefully help you unpack what Jesus was actually saying, the reason why he used such graphic language. And what I want to do is as we read it, your eyes are going to go straight to the problem of the letter. But I want to try help you in this moment as we read it to not just see the problem, but to see the promise. How many people know that every problem we encounter, there's often a promise from God uh, beyond it? Every trial we go through, there's a result and a meaning for it behind it. And here Jesus is right into the church and he highlights a problem within them, but he's more bothered about saying, hey, if you can get past this problem, there's an amazing promise for you to have. I have a suspicion that this Christmas, but even potentially beyond it as we move into next year, the problem, the solution... And the promise that Jesus gives to this church may become apparent in some of your lives, but may become apparent in the Western church as well. Can we read it together? Is that okay? Brace yourself. It's from Revelation chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, feel free to turn there. And we're reading from verse 14 up to 22. It's going to come on the screen here. It says to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Laodicea is the church that is writing to. It's a specific area. I'm gonna highlight that uh, in a little bit as I do some teaching on it. And it says these words. These are the words, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. In other words, this is Jesus' words now to the church. This is a letter that I'm writing to you and I want you to understand what's happening that you might not be able to see. Verse 15. I know your deeds. You are neither hot, nor cold, and I wish that you would just be one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That sounds quite heavy, doesn't it, right? A little bit graphic there. And you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything else in my life. But you don't realize that actually you're wretched, pitfall, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you. I plead with you. I ask of you. Buy from me gold that is refined in fire so that you can actually become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can actually see. Jesus here is pleading with the church to come to him for the things that they feel like they need. Those who I love and I rebuke, I discipline. So be earnest, be quick, quickly turn away from these things and repent. Here's Here's the solution and promise I want you to lean into these words. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will eat with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear that which the spirit of the Lord says. Who's read those words before? Wow, lots of you there, hey. Well, I'm hoping to just bring some light to it because it can feel quite heavy. As we read those words, you might have felt like, oh my gosh, like h- how are we gonna get through this? I thought we was gonna do Christmas with the fairy lights and the tree in the corner and on comes Sean speaking about Jesus gonna spit us out from a mouth with lukewarm faith, right? It's not very uplifting, it's not very helpful, but, but bear with me. Because what I want you to see here is I want you to see three things from this this story, this letter to the church. And we're going to speak about the lukewarm thing. I'm going to give you a bit of understanding of what's actually happening, because it might not be appearing to what you think it is. There's something specific and detailed that was happening in the church of Laodicea that we need to know to understand that which Jesus is trying to get us across, okay? Secondly, I want to talk about the solution. And the solution is the beautiful part of this story. The beautiful part of the gospel is that every time we face a battle, God gives us solutions to overcome those battles, amen? There are always way throughs, the trials and difficulties of life. And God himself called himself Emmanuel because he promised to be with us in every step of the life of our journey. That's the beautiful aspect of what the gospel is about. You're not alone. If you've walked into this room this morning feeling lonely and alone, I've got good news for you. The gospel has a remedy to your loneliness. And it's found in a person called Jesus who said he'll be with you every step of the way. And then there's this beautiful promise that God brings. If you can overcome the problem, accept my solution, you will encounter the promise of God over your life that I believe is over this church and I believe it's over your life as well individually. Can I get an amen in the house? Come on. Let's have a look at the problem, the one that we all looked at. We, we, we can clearly see what the problem is. It's, it's lukewarmness, this word called lukewarm. Many of you will have said it before, many of you will have felt it before, many of you in your journey of following Jesus will be perhaps even sometimes fearful that perhaps you're, you're lukewarm. And in our context, in our situation, it's really easy to be lukewarm. Can I be really honest with you for a moment? This sounds absolutely ridiculous, but Christmas for me is one of the seasons where it's easy for me to become lukewarm. Can I, is that, that is crazy to even say that the moment that we celebrate the birth of Jesus coming into this world is also one of the most easiest moments for my life to become lukewarm. Crazy, but I believe a plan from the enemy over all our lives. He doesn't want us to remember what Christmas is about, but we're here as a church putting our foot down and saying to all the world, Christmas is about Jesus and Jesus only. Amen? He's the reason what we need. He's what we need in our lives. We've got the answer to the remedy of the longing of your soul, and it's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And the the enemy comes along and he he tries to make us in this moment forget those things. And there's nothing wrong with the things that we necessarily do at Christmas. It's good to spend time with friends and family. It's good to be loving to one another and giving of gifts. It's good to come around a table and feast together. I'm not against any of those things. And I love a pig's in blankets myself, I promise you. Anyone knows me, you know that's true. But the reality is, is in the midst of all those great and wonderful activities, there's been times in my life where Jesus has taken a second place. And often the reason why he's taken a second place is because I'm tired. I feel like I need a break over Christmas. Some of you are kind of going, yeah, I'm there as well. Like, I'm looking forward to seeing people that I don't get to spend a lot of time with a lot of the time. I'm looking forward to the roast and the presents and all those things that happen. But in my life, Jesus has often in that moment been the the second priority. And I've tried every now and then to give him a thanks. I wake up and I say, happy birthday, Jesus. Right, I do all those things, but... But what if this year God is trying to get our attention? That the difference this year for Christmas is not that we would celebrate secondary things, but we would fix our heart on the priority of Christmas that is Jesus Christ. What if He's trying to get our attention once again of saying, This is one of the most beautiful opportunities for you to be able to share with people around your table the reason for Christmas that is Jesus? Well, in order for to do that, we have to get past this problem lukewarmness. I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of those. It'd be much simpler if you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, Jesus sounds aggressive there, doesn't he? God sounds quite angry at us. It's graphic language. It's language that we'd look at and we'd go, oh my gosh, I don't want Jesus to do that to me. And it's understandable that we'd think that way. It gives the reason of why lukewarmness is in our life. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and don't need anything. In other words... You're focusing on things that aren't Jesus. You're putting him in the second place of your life. God has to be number one in our hearts and our lives. Now, something to really understand. This is a specific letter to a specific church. Church in Laodicea. Laodicea was actually a really wealthy and rich place. It was an affluent place. It was a city that was known for its financial structures. You would go there and be in awe with all the buildings and everything they were doing with the finances. In fact, the church that Jesus is writing to here, they would appear to be a really, really good church. Can I be honest with you here? You wouldn't think it reading that, but the church was actually doing loads of good things. They were growing. They had the greatest buildings. They had lots of finances. They had lots of people coming through to be part of that church. The area itself was really doing well and there was was growing um, in, in their finances and in their community and people were moving to the area because of how good it was, but they had one particular problem. The area of this church had one particular problem and here's the problem. They didn't have a water source. Nowhere in the area had water source. Laodicea couldn't supply water to the people that lived there. So in their innovative thinking and in their ways of trying to combat this, they came up with something that, in my eyes, is a really, really good, good thought and good idea. I want to show you a little map. This is the way it is right now. You could go there and see these places. Laodicea, you can even see the ruins of what I'm about to talk about. It is a real life thing. And just uh, below it is this place called Colossae. And Colossae had this beautiful, beautiful system of cool refreshing water you know those moments on a summer day where you just love a glass of water nothing can quench your thirst just like it well Colosse had exactly that people would go there to Colossae and they would drink the natural spring cool water of Colossae and they would be refreshed almost immediately and then just above it here you have Hierapolis and in this place here they had beautiful heated water they had warm springs and people would travel from afar to go to this place and be in the warm springs. In fact, people felt as they encountered the warm springs of Hierapolis, they would be healed, healed from all kinds of different things. So people would travel there all the time and Laodicea being cut in edge, having finances, they thought, well, this is genius. Why don't we be, build a piping system? So you can find pipes and uh, literally right now as you go there, there are remains of pipes that are still in place. And what they did is they built pipes from here to bring the hot, refreshing, healing water of Hierapolis. And then from here, Colossae, all the way up to the north, they built this piping system where this cool, refreshing, uh, refreshing water would come. And they had this desire, if we can get the hot water and the cool water from here, we've solved all of our problems. Now, Jesus, writing the letter to this church, knew exactly that this was taking place. In fact, it's likely that this letter was written as these pipes had just been built and the water had just started to be flowed to Laodicea. One problem, though. The cool, refreshing water from Colossae was great. Everyone was drinking it and being refreshed. But unfortunately, the hot hot water from Hierapolis here coming down, by the time it got to Laodicea, it had become lukewarm. The water had gone from being hot and healing to lukewarm. And as people were drinking the lukewarm water, they were becoming sick. Now get this. Jesus is using cultural references to try and get his point across to the followers of Jesus. And what he's not saying is you need to be on hot, fiery for Jesus, or cold and don't know him, or don't be in the middle, he's not saying that. What Jesus is saying to the church is, I would rather you be life-giving and refreshing like the cool waters of Colossae or healing and hot, like the hot waters from Hierapolis. But what I don't want is I don't want you to drink lukewarm water because you are becoming sick. Jesus uses this language then, doesn't he, of saying, I will spit you out of my mouth. As soon as he says that, the church of Laodicea, they know exactly what Jesus is saying because all the people are drinking the lukewarm water and they're what? They're becoming sick. This changes the way we view this passage of scripture and here's why. So often we read this passage of scripture and we believe that God is angry at us we read it and we see the problem and we think oh my gosh if I'm just lukewarm God's angry at me he's gonna chew me up and spit me out and I'm gonna be there on the ground just begging for mercy but actually if we understand what God is actually trying to say he's not saying that our lukewarmness brings anger to the heart of God he's saying our lukewarmness brings sickness to the heart of God that changes everything because anger and frustration may bring momentary change. But when our hearts are aligned to not want to cause sickness to God, it may just bring eternal change. In other words, let me, let me put it as bluntly as I can. The lukewarmness of our faith causes the heart of God to ache for us so much so that it makes him feel sick when he's close to us. Now breathe for a moment. We've got past the problem, okay? We've done it. We've identified what the problem is. We understand that lukewarmness in our faith, when we don't prepare him room, it aches the heart of God. But here's the good news. To every problem, God provides a solution. And here's, here's the solution. Jesus says these words. To those whom I love and rebuke and discipline, so be honest and repent. Turn away from the decluttering of your life. Shift things out of your heart that don't need to be there. Make me the central focus. Prepare, prepare me room for I what? here I am. I stand at the door and knock I stand at the door and I knock on the door of your heart I stand at the door and I knock at the door of this church I stand at the door and I knock on the door of your life and I ask please please let me in Please let me into your situation. Please let me into your lukewarmness. please let me in to your trial and difficulty. Please let me in as I knock on the door, open it and allow me to come in. You see the message of Christmas, the message of what we celebrate is not that God is repulsed by our sin, but we celebrate the Emmanuel God with us who moves close to our sin because He has a solution for us to be able to overcome it. The beauty of Jesus Christ and the beauty of the holiness of our God is he has such a perfect plan for this church and for your life that he doesn't leave you to wallow in your sin or lukewarmness, but he moves towards you so he can lead you through it. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the Christmas message is that God is with you even when you don't want him to be with you. He's with you even when you're not aware that he is with you. He's with you in every trial, every battle, every circumstance. We have a God who stands at the door and he knocks. Noah, if you could come up, mate. This is the, the solution that he, that he brings. This is the solution that he brings to the lukewarmness that we can so often have in our lives. I heard a quote recently from, from a person online and and I loved what it said. It, it speaks about the prodigal son. Anyone know the story of the prodigal son? Luke chapter 15. And the prodigal son leaves the father's house and leaves the father. And then he, he comes back after he's been in the pig's den and spent all his money uh, partying. And, and Jesus is, is portrayed as the father who welcomes him home with loving arms. And I heard this quote recently that I believe just helps us understand some of these things to do what could be lukewarmness that can come into our hearts at times at, at Christmas. And Here's what it says. The older brother, anyone remember him in the prodigal son story? The older brother in the prodigal son shows us that we can be in the father's home and still be far from the father's heart. The older brother shows us that we can be in the father's home and still are far from the father's heart. Activity is a terrible replacement for intimacy. Here's the scariest aspect of lukewarmness that, that I've encountered in my life. The scariest reality of having a lukewarm faith that's not all in, that's not preparing room for Jesus to come and be with me, that's not got him as the highest priority in my life, that's not... He's my first love, my only love, the one who I desire of all my things. Here's the scariest reality that I found in my life to do with lukewarmness. The greatest concern I have is not that I might just be lukewarm. The greatest concern that I have is that I would be lukewarm and not do anything about it. To know that I am afar from the heart of the Father, To know that he's knocking at my door and I'm not doing everything possible to let the King of Kings in. To know that I am bound, trapped, and captured to the ways of this world. And as Jesus stands there knocking, I know it, but I won't do anything about it. To whom I love and discipline, be earnest and repent, for here I am. I stand at the door and I knock there's a great problem God comes through with a great solution this is the story of the gospel right we've sinned we've all fallen short from the glory of God Jesus comes perfect spotless lives a life dies on a cross for your sins so that you can have eternity in relationship with him he rises and resurrects from the grave he sits at the right hand of the father and now we find ourselves here where the kingdom of God is here but not quite yet it's not at full power yet but we're seeing and sensing the kingdom of God around us we're seeing and sensing that the solution that Jesus brought works it makes a difference in our lives it makes a difference in the lives around us we sense it we feel it the beauty the beauty of this story and the beauty of the gospel is that when we acknowledge our lukewarmness and when we accept his solution God gives us beautiful promises And he blesses us with beautiful promises. He blesses them over our lives. and He blesses them over the church. And I am a strong believer that individual churches, as though we are one, there are specific promises placed over individual churches. And I want to be honest. I believe this church has specific promises. I believe it has promises that lay over it. And as you are part of this church, those promises are aligned to your life as well. They're aligned to our community. They're aligned to our call. They're aligned to our mission. They're aligned to our purpose of why we are here at this moment in history, at this time. No mistake has been made. You're here for a reason. And part of that reason is to unlock the promises that God has over your life. It's to unlock the promises that God has over this church. And that's the beauty of accepting a solution. And in this story here, in the story where Jesus comes and identifies the problem, brings the solution, he then goes on to tell us of a beautiful, beautiful promise that I believe is apparent and being made known to us today. And here's, here's the promise. It's a greater revelation of intimacy with Jesus. And some of us that might think, "Oh, well, could have been a bit more surely like, revival, thousands of people come to the church, like great speakers and preachers, could it not be any of, any of that stuff? Perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. But what I'm sensing in my spirit and what I'm seeing taking place in, in people's lives is that God is first revealing to us as followers of Jesus that he has a promise over your life that you would know that he is close. For those that open the door I will come in and eat with that person and they they will eat with me to the one who is victorious that's who I call victorious the one who opens the door I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne you see our sin and our lukewarmness it is not a repellent to the promise that God has over your life God's strong enough to be able to combat the lukewarmness of our faith he's strong enough to be able to lead us through the tensions and difficulties of our life he's strong enough to be with us in the deepest darkest of valleys just as much as he is when we're on the mountaintop. Dane Ortland, a wonderful writer and I'm gonna end with this he says these words about the Gospels and about the life of Jesus he says the cumulative testimony of the Gospels if you was to find a main headline of the way the Gospels are Matthew Mark Luke and John you put them together The cumulative testimony, the resounding resounding theme is that when Jesus Christ walks with us and he sees the fallenness of the world all about him, the brokenness and the lukewarmness all around him, his deepest impulse, his most visible instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering, not to move away from it. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus is knocking on the door of your life and he's asking whether you're gonna let him in. He's knocking on the door of your heart and he's asking this Christmas, will you let me in at the table? You might have been a Christian for 50, 60 years and the reality and truth is the same promise and the same solution still rings true. Will you let him in? Will you prepare him room? Will you overcome the problem of lukewarmness? Accept the solution that he's knocking on your door and invite Jesus into your table and say, come feast with me, Lord. Let me sit at your feet. Let me know your heart. Let me know your character and your love. Let me be impacted by the way you see me. Let me know how you view me. Let me know the promises and the details you have over my life. Let me know the purpose and the plan. Nothing else matters, nothing else matters, only you. We sing the songs, we know the verses, but the reality is is it's truthful for our lives this day. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock, those who open I will come in and I will feast with and they are the people I will call victorious they are the people that know greater intimacy they are the people I will bless and strengthen and be with every moment of their lives all we have to do is prepare him room would you stand with me church